Hello, friends. This is Michael Radelnik. Welcome to this edition of Open Line. Today's program is pre-recorded, so our phone lines are not open. But I hope you'll grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible, and listen and learn, along with all of us here on Open Line with Dr. Michael Radelnik. You better go get a Christmas cookie to go with your cup of coffee because today we're having a special Bible study on Luke's story of the birth of Jesus. Hello, friends. This is Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik, Moody Radio's Bible study across America. I'm Michael Rydelnik, professor of Jewish studies and Bible at Moody Bible Institute, coming to you from the Moody Radio studios in downtown Chicago. Welcome to the Radio Kitchen Table, where week to week we generally talk about your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. Not so today. No call-in questions today. Instead, I'm coming to you with a group of good friends, and we're going to work our way through the story of the birth of Jesus as found in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to find it's as relevant to our lives as it was to the audience that was that it was originally written for. So, It's time to go get your cup of coffee and get your Bible, because we're going to study the Scriptures together. But before we get to the Bible study, let me tell you who's here with me. First, my favorite Bible study partner, my colleague on the faculty of Moody Bible Institute, and a collaborator on the Moody Bible Commentary, who happens to be my wife, Eva Rydelnik, is here. Welcome, Eva. Hey, so much fun to be here. Yes, and also joining me is the producer of Open Line. She's the organizer extraordinaire of this program, the queen of the questions, Tricia McMillan. Hi. Hi. I'm glad you're here, Tricia. <laughs> me too. And finally, joining us from the Cactus Compound in Tucson, coming in from the backyard <laughs> fence to sit around the radio kitchen table, my good friend, Chris Favory. Welcome, Chris. Hey. You saved the worst for last, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you had to come the farthest, you know. Yeah, you had to we had to give you time right. to get yeah. in from the fence. Aren't you glad to be here in the cold weather in Chicago? <laughs> oh, absolutely. It invigorates the soul, doesn't it? <laughs> well, making us all sound good this morning is the genius of the control board, our engineer, Courtney Young. Mm. Well, uh, we're going to talk our way through Luke, uh, the Luke narrative about the the birth of the Lord Jesus. and. I really, really love this story, and it's very special to me because it's my very first encounter with the New Testament. When I was eight years old, I was raised in a traditional Jewish home. We didn't read the Gospels. Uh, We didn't have Bible devotions from the New Testament. Uh, We didn't do anything like that. And so there I am in a traditional Jewish home, and one night when I was eight years old, the Charlie Brown Christmas came on. Hmm. And uh, I watched it, and remember, they're all fussing about what's Christmas all about. And Linus says, I'll tell you, Charlie Brown. And he lights, and then he reads the narrative of the birth of Jesus, or recites it, I should say. And it's the very first time I ever heard anything from the New Testament, and I was really taken aback and awed by that story. But I, I didn't know anything about it. That was my first encounter with the New Testament. So every time I read it, every time I talk about it, I love it because of that experience. Uh, It is really what Christmas is about, the birth of Jesus. And uh, I was wondering, is this narrative special to all of you that we're going to look at today? What, uh, you know, obviously we love the Bible, all of us, and we all care about the scriptures, but what's so special about that narrative? I know one person who uh, has something she mm-hmm. talked to me before. 
<laughs> All of us get a chance to talk, but uh, Eva, why don't you start? Well, I, I love it from when I was a kid, hearing the story. Um, one of the things that when I read the Luke story or, or the Matthew passage, it is you never get tired of it. It's not like, oh, there it is again. It's like, ah, there it is again. Yeah. I get to read it again. Yeah. And um, it reminds me of something that Kent Hughes said about something that C.S. Lewis wrote. I love C.S. Lewis. I just finished a course on the fiction of C.S. Lewis teaching here at Moody. And um, this is what Kent Hughes said about a passage in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. In The the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, Lucy is the third book in the series. She finds a magical book that tells the story about a cup, a sword, a tree, and a green hill. It's kind of the Narnian equivalent to the gospel story. And as she read it, this this is what the book says about Lucy's experience. Lucy was living in the story as if it were real, and all the pictures were real, too. And when she had got to the third page and come to the end, Lucy said, That is the loveliest story I've ever read or ever shall read in my whole life. Oh, I wish I could go on reading it for ten years. And this is the way it is with the story of the Incarnation. Though we explore the same short passage year after year, we never tire of hearing the story of the Messiah's birth. Yeah. Never get tired of it, huh? Never get tired of it. I love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. Okay. Either of you have any uh, insights here about how special this is or not? Tricia? Well, uh, for me, this is the story we always read Christmas morning. So before we ate breakfast, before we um, opened any presents, before we did anything, my dad would pull out his Bible and we would read the Luke 2 passage um, about Jesus' birth. Um, And then he would talk about that briefly. And then we would (laughs) do the Mm. rest and proceed with the rest of Christmas celebration. But that that was what we would do every... So we're all in our pajamas, usually sitting on the floor under blankets and... What a great you know. memory. Yeah. What a great memory. Yeah. yeah, we still do that. I could just see Trisha there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and now you do it with your kids, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the thing is, yeah. I can see Annie doing that and look look just exactly. like her. Just like you. It's time warp. Yeah. She looks so yeah. much like her. Yeah. You know, I feel like you have to fight to for me because I grew up with hearing this story, unlike you, Michael, when I heard it on uh, Peanuts, you know, on Charlie Brown, it was, oh, I've heard that before. It it validated what I'd already heard, you know, it reinforced, oh, I, I know that story. I know it. Mm-hmm. And for you, you'd never heard it. And so it was a different experience. For me, it is so familiar that I have to fight with the text to realize what's really happening, that it really did happen, and to not skip over some of the things that a person who's hearing it for the first time would say, well, why, why did that happen? What, what did the angel say that? And and that quote by Hughes about Narnia, you know, I want to live in the story, and isn't it interesting that Jesus came to live with us, you know, the incarnation in mm-hmm. the fleshness, and, and allows us then through the rebirth, to live the story out as he lives the story in us, mm-hmm. you know, and, and walks through with us. The other thing that came to mind, and, and Evie will like this, Proverbs 25, 2. Right. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter mm. and the glory of kings to investigate a matter. And I think that superimposes itself over what we're about to read uh, to hide something 
all of this is obscure. This is in the backwater. You know, it's way out of the way that no one would see unless someone observed it and put it down for us to find. Right. And so I love that about God, that he He cloaks and then allows us, you know, like the presence, hiding a present. You ever given a present to your kids and you kept it a secret or from your spouse, you kept it a secret. This is kind of what God is, is doing here in front of us as we read this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I th- what I like is that when you slow down and read it and try to, as you say, read it with fresh eyes, not having, not imposing everything we know about it, just slowing down and reading it, it the, the secrets are unveiled, in my opinion. Yes. Uh, that, that it's not secret so that we can't see it. We just have to slow down so we can see it. So mm-hmm. that's, that's what I think you're right. That we, that's, you know, I've been a believer now. I, I go back to that time when I was eight years old and heard this the first time, but I've been a believer now for 46 years. And so I have read this once before besides that. So, <laughs> and so I agree. Sometimes it's just best to uh, slow down and read it again and try and capture some of the background issues or some of the, the things that are implied that we just mm-hmm. gloss over. So I want to start there. There's a few historical issues that are important for this study of uh, Luke. And the first one to me is, as I was slowing down trying to think about what we're going to talk about, I came to verse 5 of chapter 1, and it says, In the days of King Herod of Judea, and it starts in with the story of Zechariah. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. And that's the story of the, uh, how Zechariah is told that John the Baptist would be born. And I thought of that, that a couple of years ago, we did the same kind of Bible study on Matthew 2. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot about Herod. And this is the only mention of Herod. <laughs> and, and yet, I was wondering, I mean, he has obviously a more significant role in the Matthew birth story. Why even mention him here in Luke 1.5? How does this mention help us understand the circumstances of this story? What do you think? Well, I think even in, in the uh, previous verses, verses 1 through 4, you have Luke saying, here's why I'm telling you, here's what I'm telling you. I've investigated it all carefully to tell you in consecutive order so you can know the exact truth. So it kind of sets the stage on what's happening, where we are, um, who's ruling, because even at the beginning of chapter 2 and then uh, at the beginning of chapter 3, (laughs) (laughs) at the beginning of each of these first three chapters, he kind of sets up, here's what's happening with the Roman government. Mm -hmm. Um, Here's what's happening with this area so that you remember, so that you know what's going on. Um, so it's establishing the Roman governance and the influence and tying this whole story to history in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love it. Just by mentioning the days of Herod, king mm-hmm. of Judea, it gives us two important markers. It tells us where it's happening in Judea, a specific place in geography, and under the rule of Herod, a specific place in time. And he was such a, a well-known figure that if you hear the name Herod, you know, okay, this is when this is happening. So mm-hmm. it's a time and a geographic marker right there. Also, uh, I think it gives an atmosphere. Uh, I happen to be reading right now a biography of Herod, something mm-hmm. I do in my spare time. Just a friend. <laughs> <laughs> late night, easy reading. Yeah. Easy reading. That's <laughs> what I'm doing right now, late night. Uh, and 
even in the Greco-Roman world for whom Luke wrote this, Herod was notorious. Uh, They knew that he was a friend of the Romans, and the way he maintained control in Judea was with a very oppressive hand. In fact, this is probably uh, referring to days right before Herod's death. I believe that the Lord Jesus was born the year before Herod died, somewhere in that year before he died. And in that year, he murdered a couple of his sons. Mm. He changed his will multiple times about who would be his successor. He made a plan that when he died, the leaders of Israel were all to be murdered. That's what they he wanted to have done because then the people would not be celebrating his death, his death, but they would be mourning the death of all those others, so there would be no celebrations upon his death. And so when we see how wicked and oppressive Herod was, and that wasn't just known to his subjects, but known to everyone, it all of a sudden puts, okay, I'm going to give you a good story now in the midst of a really gloomy time. That's, hmm. that's what Luke is saying. Here's some hope in the midst of darkness. So You don't sound like a real nice guy. No. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> to me. <laughs> yeah, uh, Augustus Caesar said uh, he would rather be one of Herod's swines than one of Herod's mm. sons wow. because he kept kosher and he wouldn't kill a swine, wow. but he would hmm. kill his own sons. You know, the other thing that uh, strikes me is the in, in the day is it, it feels like that uh, phrase that's used in the fullness of time. Mm. And I, I know we don't want to go to a, a lot of other scripture, but Ephesians, Paul talks about the, the mystery of his will that were planned for the days of fulfillment. I feel like this is what we're reading about. Yeah, we're right at the days of fulfillment. And we're going to talk about more of the elements of this uh, great story of the birth of Jesus and Luke uh, with our guests, with my guests. We'll be right back. You're listening to Open Line with me, Michael Rydelnik, and a bunch of friends. In 2 Peter 3.16, Peter says Paul has written some things that are hard to understand. That's why Alan Johnson's book, Romans, Everyday Bible Commentary, is so helpful. It provides clear explanations that will enhance our understanding of this important letter, and it offers practical application for our own lives, too. When you give a gift of any size to OpenLine, I'll send you a copy of Romans, Everyday Bible Commentary, just to say thank you. Call 888-644-7122 or visit OpenLineRadio.org. People often wonder, what's Hanukkah all about? So with Hanukkah coming up in December, Chosen People Ministries wants to help open-line listeners by offering a free booklet called The Gospel According to Hanukkah. Chosen People Ministries reaches Jewish people around the world with the good news of Jesus the Messiah. The Gospel According to Hanukkah explains the ancient origins of this holiday, the way it's celebrated today, and how it relates to our own faith in Jesus, the light of the world. For a free copy of The Gospel According to Hanukkah, just go to openlineradio.org. Scroll down, and you'll see a link that says A Free Gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that, and you'll be able to sign up for your very own copy of The Gospel According to Hanukkah. Had been heralding the news about the coming of a savior for both the Gentiles and the Jews, and it happened in Judea 
in the town of Bethlehem, with a bright star o'er the stable, was born the Son of Man. Welcome back to Open Line with me, Dr. Michael Rydelnik, and my guests today as we are studying the gospel narrative of the birth of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. Joining me, Eva Rydelnik, Trisha McMillan, and Chris Favry. And uh, we're talking about this wonderful passage. And uh, we're talking about some of the historical issues that are found. And these are questions that people have asked me on uh, when I've guested on Chris Favory Live and every week on Open Line at Christmas season, we get questions like this. And this is, I think, a really good one. It says in Luke 1.5, that Zechariah is identified as a priest, Elizabeth is also said to be of the daughters of Aaron. And people say, well, how can she be related to Mary? Because she's of the lineage of David and of the tribe of Judah. Uh, Had anyone ever thought of that? Did that ever cross your mind? We had, but we don't have answers. Yes, but it didn't bother me. <laughs> it didn't bother <laughs> I like, you. Oh, I guess they're somehow, like I've thought about John and Jesus being cousins, but knowing that Mary and Elizabeth are not sisters, it's like, eh, it's somewhere down the road. And that does, I mean, like somewhere down the down the line and that, okay, it, it doesn't, I guess I hadn't given it too much thought for it to be concerned to me. Well, I think but, it's great uh. that it wasn't a concern because it really shouldn't be a concern. But there are people who read the Bible very much with looking mm-hmm. for, this could be a flaw, this could be a mistake. And those are the ones that, that pick up on things like that. What would you say? I think part of it comes from understanding where the identity comes from. I think that where your tribal identity comes from is of the 12 tribes. And we know that, that Mary was, because she was of the lineage of David, she would have been from the tribe of Judah, mm-hmm. because David was from the house of Judah. Of but course. her dad would have been that. Mm-hmm, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and we see Elizabeth is identified as being from Aaron, which would be the tribe of Levi. So... Maybe both of their mothers were, maybe her mother was also, Elizabeth's mother was also from the tribe of Judah, but her tribal identity was from her father's tribe, which was the tribe of Levi, which would have made him from Aaron. So some ancestor, parent, grandparent of Elizabeth had married someone from the tribe of Aaron, a Levite or a priest, priesthood, Mm -hmm. and that's how it was that she was from that heritage uh, and and that's where your identity comes from in Israel through the father, the tribal identity. Today, among Jewish people, your Jewish identity, rabbis have determined, is through your mother. That's from the Middle Ages. But that's from the Middle Ages. Mm. In, in, the, huh. in the first century, your tribal identity, and even today your tribal identity, if you're a priest, a Levite, or a pe- one of the members of the people of Israel, doesn't come from your mother, it comes from your father. And so there was some sort of marriage... We would. This is this is what you would call ancient Jewish intermarriage, tribe to Tri- tribe, tribe to tribe. Uh, okay. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. so another question that comes up uh, pops up to me here is: fast forward twelve years, and were Zacharias and Elizabeth and little and the little boy there that they had were they in the same troop going up to the festival where Jesus stays? You know, are, are they traveling together? Did they? You know, did that happen? Did that come up to you guys too? I always kind of pictured them together in that yeah. big mob of people shuffling yeah. along. And Zechariah saying, that's my nephew by marriage. Uh, <laughs> somewhere in there, or my cousin by marriage. Isn't he smart? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Although I, you never think of cousins by marriage. You're just cousins are cousins. Yeah, that's right. They're just cousins. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I do think it's interesting that uh, a couple days ago we were talking about something on the radio, and I mentioned that Luke said that he uh, talked to the eyewitnesses and the servants of, of the word handed down to us. I said, I would guess that he talked to Mary about these mm-hmm. events. And that's where he got a lot of these details. It's probably why this is told more from the perspective of Mary, uh, that he probably interviewed her. And, uh, and so I thought, after you said that, Chris, you think maybe he potentially, I don't know if, if Zechariah was still alive or Elizabeth was still right. alive, but he could very well have interviewed them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's a that's kind of a flip out, isn't it? Not that he they were just there at the twelve year old experience uh, of the Lord Jesus with the with the leaders there in the temple, but actually then said, well, "This is what it was like." Ah. And mm. and Mary and her family were living in Nazareth, and of course moved back to Nazareth. Yeah. But Elizabeth and Zechariah they lived in Judea in the hill yeah. country of Judea, so they weren't like neighbors. Yeah. It was a trip right. to go. Yeah, it's just amazing. I love it. So okay. Uh, then the other big historical issue people have, uh, and I need Van Lanningham here because uh, he loves to answer this question. The reason for the trip to Bethlehem in, t- in chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, is that in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Judea. Now, a lot of critics of the Bible say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Quirinius was governor in Judea in the year 6 and 7. And so, and obviously, Herod the Great died in about 5 or 4 BC, 4 BC for the death of Herod. Uh, so the, this probably, these events took place in 5 BC. So he's off by 12 years. Hmm. Uh, have you ever encountered that question, any of you? Or is that just for the cynics out there? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, get, I'll give you Van Lanningham's answer. You really do see it a lot on the uh, on the internet now about oh the Bible can't be true because they don't even know when things happened. Yeah, that's exactly mm-hmm. what you see. Uh, <clears throat> I have a footnote in my Bible, and by the way, I always recommend this book. I tell people all the times that this book is a great book to to get when you have questions about the life of Jesus, and it's called Chronological Aspects of the Life of Christ. It was written by Harold Honer, who also wrote a book about Herod Antipas. And so he was such a tough professor when I was a student at Dallas Seminary. We used to call him Herod Honer. And, <laughs> uh, he, he was a phenomenal chronologist, and uh, he's with the Lord now. But he did this great book, Chronological Aspects of the Life of Christ, and he goes to every one of these potential historical chronology issues and explains them. And it is a phenomenal little book. It's one of the most worthwhile little books you can ever find, still in print. Uh, it's a little uh, paperback. It's yeah, imposing. It's a little bitty book, but it's a great book. And one of the things that he talks about is that uh, it says this first, this and my uh, my text here, uh, has actually a footnote. This is the simplest answer, is that it has an alternative translation, is that this registration was before Quirinius was governing Syria. That's another way you could translate it. It takes the word protos, which is translated commonly first, and it means before. So this was the census before uh, Quirinius was governing. Some people have suggested that perhaps Quirinius had a previous governorship, and that's why it's mentioned here. But I doubt that. This is what it's saying is 
We all know, this is Luke writing. This is, this is the Rydelnik paraphrase of what Luke's writing. We all know that in the year 6 and 7, there was a major census done by Quirinius. And he, uh, because there was a big taxation that was coming about that whole region. And so we all know about that. But what I'm talking about is one that is less well-known that took place mm-hmm. in the year before he was uh, governor uh, that was less well-known in the year 4 or 5 B.C. That's, that's what I think he's saying there. So I don't, Which just I don't, shows that the Bible can stand up. You know, there are answers to these questions about archaeological things in the Old Testament that they've said, ah, that didn't exist there. Oops, yeah. guess what we found? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, it, it just, the, the very things that people use, like this one, to criticize the Bible is something that is actually gives us confidence that the Bible is even more precise than what we think of. And it gives us a lot of confidence that when Luke tells the story, he's telling it uh, in a in an accurate way. He's he's relating events, and so that the because the Greco-Roman world would have picked that up if that was an error. Yes, they would have picked it up immediately and said, "Well, we can't believe this," but he was being very precise and very careful. So, anyway, we're going to be back with more discussion of Luke one, two, and three, even in just a moment. So don't go away. I thank Chris Favory and Eva Rydelnik and Trisha McMillan for joining me. This is Michael Rydelnik. Don't go away. Thank you for joining me as well. We're going to be right back and keep on studying. Every weekend, Open Line is here to help you understand God, the Bible, and the spiritual life. You ask the questions, and I try to answer straight from Scripture. When you become a kitchen table partner, You're not only keeping this program on the radio and internet, you're helping others to hear the truth. And you'll receive exclusive benefits like regular Bible study moments by me offering insight and encouragement. Become a Kitchen Table Partner by calling 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org. We're so glad that FEBC partners with OpenLine with Dr. Michael Rydelnik, bringing the FEBC mailbag every week. Learn how Far East Broadcasting Company is taking Christ to the world at febc.org. On their weekly podcast, Until All I've Heard with Ed Cannon, you'll hear stories of lives changed by Messiah all across the globe. Again, you can hear the podcast when you visit febc.org. That's febc.org. This is Michael Rydelnik here to remind you that you are listening to a pre-recorded edition of Open Line. Our phone lines are not open today. But please enjoy the rest of this hour as we head back to Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. His dominion will not end upon the throne of David. Hold you up, Bethlehem. Though you are the least of them, you shall produce from Jesse's stem a king for all the ages. Welcome back to Open Line. This is Michael Rydelnik. I'm so glad you're joining me today. And it's a special Christmas edition of Open Line. With me in studio is Eva Rydelnik and Trisha McMillan. And also joining us is Chris Favory. And we're talking, trying to understand this first uh, part of the Gospel of Luke about the birth of the Lord Jesus, this wonderful Christmas narrative. And uh, we're going to pick right up. I think that you know, we've been talking about some of the historical issues. I'll, I have another historical issue, and it's from Luke 3. It's the only thing we're going to touch on in Luke 3. And 
people have wanted to know why is it that Luke 3 and Matthew chapter 1 have different genealogies for Jesus? Because they both say that he, they both ultimately have Jesus being born as the son of Joseph. Right. And yet they're different. And, and there are some names, like, uh, for example, there's one name that, over, that overlaps. It's Zerubbabel. Uh, and you just wanted to say that, Michael. Come on. <laughs> yeah. You just like saying Zerubbabel, don't you? Now, the thing is, Zerubbabel means seed of Babylon. So that probably was as common as the name Michael was when I was born, you know, because uh, someone that was born in Babylon. So I uh, like Shield Teal. Can I just Shelt- be honest? <laughs> Shield Teal. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so is there a reason for these differing genealogies that you're aware of? I bet there are. Yeah. Eva, what do you think? No, Luke, your, your turn, Chris, your turn. <laughs> well, it, he's got two parents, right? Yeah. Jesus has there two earthly go. parents, and you got to go f- both both of them. And so one goes through one, one goes through the other. Is that, isn't that it? Yeah, that's it. It's, they're both from the line of David. Both Joseph and Mary are from the line of David. And in Matthew, it's got Joseph's direct genealogy. And that's a very important part, because even though Joseph was only the adopted father of the Lord Jesus, mm-hmm. Joseph comes from David, Solomon, and so the right to rule on the throne is through Joseph, because he is from the line of Solomon. But yet, whoever the Messiah ha- is born has to be physically descended from David, because of what God promised David. And so, through his mother, Mary... We've got the second genealogy right here in Luke. And it's so interesting because this is really clearly the perspective of Mary when we look at the Luke narrative, the Luke story about the birth of Jesus. And so it's got her genealogy, and you could see that it goes all the way when it gets to the one right before David, the son of Nathan, son of David. So this is David, David's line through his son, Nathan. And that's Mary's line. The question then comes is, why does it say in verse 23 that he is the son of Joseph? And I think the best answer, again, my New Testament buddy, Mike Van Lanningham, says that probably what this should be understood as is, it says, as he began his ministry, Jesus was about 30 years old and was thought to be the son of Joseph. And then he says that we need to add the implication, son-in-law of uh, Heli, I guess you would say it, uh, son of Matat, son of Levi, and so forth. And so what it is, is he, uh, Joseph is the son-in-law of Heli. Heli is the father of Mary. Mm. That's probably the way we can understand this. And so they're not contradictory genealogies. They're complementary. One is mom, the other is dad. And you're reading Heli. This is in verse 23? Yeah. What does your Bible say, Trish? Mine says Eli. Right. For yeah. anybody else who has a different, working off a different version, otherwise it could be too confusing. Yeah. See, the Bible's not true. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> His nickname or what? No, it's just the Greekized, Hellenized version of ah. Eli is Heli. They put a, a like an H in the front and, of it. And Trish and I were just talking about this in another name that we see here that sometimes. Yes. So going back to Luke 1, we've got, um, I looked in two versions that I typically use. Um, one called the main man Zechariah uh-huh. and the other one calls him Zacharias. I mean, they they don't start the same, they don't end the same. Yeah. So 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 it can lead to some confusion because I remember even as a kid standing in church and someone saying, "Well, Zacharias did this." And I thought, "That's not the right name." Who are they talking? <laughs> they don't know their Bible. You know, as a as a 12-year-old like I 
my version says this. So what is it? Is it Zechariah? Zacharias? The name Helen? was. It's Heli. It's Ellie. What yeah. are we talking about here? You say potato. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, the the I'm reason. To sing. I love this program. I'm trying to sing. <laughs> what it is is that uh, Zechariah is the Hebrew name. When it's written in Greek, it becomes Zach- Zacharias, and so it's just some versions will translate it from the Greek into the the way we would say it in English, which is Zechariah. No one calls it Zacharias nowadays, uh, unless you're reading it. From unless the you're text. reading it from the text, <laughs> and other versions will will translate it Zacharias to be take it right from the Greek. Others will translate it. Some transliterate, some translate. That's what it is. Okay. So Zechariah versus Zacharias, they're the same, same person. And I, we're going to move on to talking about Zechariah now. Uh, but the, the main thing is uh, the genealogy alerts us that, and we could see that really clearly, that the Luke narrative is about Mary. And then, of course, it has her genealogy. And the uh, Matthew narrative is all about Joseph and his reaction to this story. And it has his genealogy. So it makes perfect sense that there's different genealogies. Therefore, showing us the legal birthright and the bloodline are both there. Exactly. Uh, Before we move on, maybe it might be worth talking a minute about how we know that Jesus was supposed to be related to David. Mm. That's a good one. What what about that, Eva? What what about that? Yeah, I think there must be some prophecy about that. Yeah, but you can go ahead and tell us. Yeah. I think that we don't assume that everybody is, uh, is so familiar with the prophecy in Samuel about this. Well, there's a there's a prophecy in Genesis 49:10 that mm-hmm. says uh, that that uh, the scepter won't depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until the one to whom it belongs comes. In other words, there's going to be the tribal identity of Judah. That's really what that's talking about, and authority in Judah until the rightful king and that's, comes. And where is and that so for folks at home? That's Genesis 49:10, and mm-hmm. that's. So it starts with, there's a narrowing. It's going to, the, the Messiah is not just going to be the son of Abraham. He's going to be the descendant of Judah. And then Eva was mentioning. Yeah, in, in, um, in 2 Samuel 7, there's the Davidic covenant, which kind of forms a background to a lot of different things in the life of Messiah. But I guess the, the culminating verse is uh, 2 Samuel seven sixteen that your house and your kingdom shall endure before me and and. Bef- uh, and your throne shall be established forever. It's it's through the the through seed of the David. seed of David through yeah. the Messiah, the coming <laughs> Messiah. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so that's that's the passage. That First Chronicles seventeen are the passages where Messiah was identified as being the son of David. Mm-hmm. And of course, I know we're we're in Luke, but how does Matthew open? Yeah, this it, is the the story or the generations of Jesus the Messiah, the son of Abraham, the, the son, son of, of David. David. And I, I have a. I have, a, I have a friend, and uh, she had never read the Bible, and she said when we moved to Chicago, maybe God uh, brought you two here to be my neighbor so that I could learn to read the Bible. And so she asked if we would read the New Testament with her. I don't want to do She said, I'm afraid of the Old Testament. I just want to do the New Testament. I said, okay, we'll start in Matthew 1. And <laughs> we read the first verse, and she said, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> Who's this Abraham? Who's this, Who's this David? David? I said, well, that's why we need the Old Testament. Yes. <laughs> we, I, just, I just love that. So, yeah, you can't cut that out of your Bible. You need it so we can understand the New Testament. So that's where that comes okay. from. Okay. Now, here in Luke, we've got this good and godly man. His name is either Zechariah or Zechariah. <laughs> uh, 
And uh, now he, he's an old guy, apparently, and his wife's getting on in years, maybe has passed the age, as far as we know, or is close to the age where a person can't have children anymore. A woman is past the, the childbearing years. And it says that the, the angel comes to him, right? Uh, and it says that he's going to, uh, to give birth. The angel said to him in verse 13, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you will name him John. And it talks about how great John will be and what John will do. And then you get verse 18, and Zechariah says, How can I know this? <laughs> and <laughs> I think this is interesting because I, 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 don't, I don't blame Zechariah for asking that. And yes. yet... The he, angel was telling him. <laughs> the angel was telling him. But yeah, I mean, I, I understand why he's asking this. And, and then... Uh, and so then... What it says to him in verse 20, now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words. Uh, so do you think that's justifiable for a discipline of silence? I mean, what? why would he do that? Hmm. What's, yeah, what do you because think? His, because his question was, for I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. It's <laughs> like it doesn't compute. You know, you, yeah. you you're seeing him do the, the interesting thing that you just read there that the angel said uh, confirmed that Zechariah has been praying because how would you his prayer be heard if he hadn't? So he's been faithful in praying this whole thing and he says the wrong thing. And I think that's where a lot of people would say, see, God's just going to if you do the wrong thing, he's going to smack you upside the head and he's going to make it hard. <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. I don't think that's what is happening here. What do you think? Well, I think there's some sort of uh, correction happening here. That's why he's silent, don't you think? It seems like, well, so starting off, his reaction, um, he's troubled, fear grips him, (laughs) and then he responds out of that fear. Like, you've told me all of these things. It seems like the answer to my wildest dreams, you know, my my biggest prayer that we've been praying. I don't think, I, I don't know if I can trust you kind of, you know, Gabriel even says he didn't believe. So now you're going to be silent because you 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 responded out of that unbelief rather than mm. listening. And so now you're going to listen and watch and see how God works. Yeah. Well, I I think it's so interesting because he could have I mean, obviously he didn't discipline him with per, perpetual silence. Right. Yeah, it's it's just okay, this pregnancy, guess what? You don't get to talk, uh, which I think a lot of wives would really appreciate uh, during pregnancy. Uh, but, but especially as they're being delivered, yeah. Andrea would say the same thing. He's like, would you be quiet? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I just think that that's a really interesting thing that he he's. It made me think of uh, back in Genesis when God tells Abraham that he's going to have a son and that. The, the blessings won't be, the promise won't be through Ishmael. I believe it's Genesis 18. And Sarah laughs. Mm-hmm. And she says, I love how the New American Standard has it. Uh, she says, I didn't laugh when the angel corrects her. And it says, indeed, you uh, laughed. Or, oh, but you but did. You did. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I heard you. <laughs> and so... He he was disbelieving here, and so what's the relationship? Why make him silent for his doubt? 
is there more responsibility for somebody who has a, a religious standing? You know, Zechariah was in this uh, position where he's supposed to be steeped in these things and know. And if you do an A-B comparison with Mary, you know, Zechariah's married and yeah. and things can happen there, you know. <laughs> uh, Mary is not married, you know. She's yeah. a virgin. And so... Uh, the, she the understands biology. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But is there is there a greater responsibility for the light that Zechariah has had of knowing these things? That's my question. And yeah. he had been praying about it, and yet when his prayer was answered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let, let's talk about this a little bit more when we get back. Uh, we're talking about the birth narrative in the Gospel of Luke, the great Christmas story with Chris Avery, Eva Rydelnik, and Tricia McMillan. Don't go away. We're going to be right back with more of the Christmas story. Welcome back to Open Line with Michael Rydelnik and my guest today, Eva Rydelnik, Trisha McMillan, and Chris Fabry. We're talking through the story of the birth of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, the wonderful Christmas story. And we were talking about Zechariah and how he didn't believe and therefore he was silenced for the entire pregnancy of Elizabeth when she was giving birth to John. And so when I was a parent of little children and there was a discipline that needed to come, I generally would try to, as they got older, link the discipline, the correction, with what was done. So if there was a carelessness with the car, the result was you can't drive. You know, we're going to take away use of the car for a couple weeks. Okay? That's the kind of approach that I tried to take. And so I wonder if this is similar. Was the silencing of Zechariah, because he didn't believe what the angel said, was the silence related to the unbelief in some sense or who he was and what he was supposed to do? Uh, how do you relate that kind of discipline, that correction to him not believing? Come on, silence is no good. Go ahead, Chris. <laughs> We're answering your silence, silence with silence. Come on, Chris. <laughs> no, I, I think that's, that's a new thought for me, and so I'm processing that. The other thing that you hear is the intertestamental period when God was speaking and acting, and then, you know, it seemed, it's perceived silence from mm-hmm. our perspective. And I wonder if that wasn't, you know, can you can you fit that into God was making him, the angels making him uh, following God's orders. You be silent now, and you wait to see what God is going to unveil here. And, you know, maybe the silence is not as much a punishment, but a preparation Mm-hmm. For Zechariah, because I don't think God's punishment to us or oh, what we perceive yeah. mm-hmm. as discipline is for something you know that is bad in us. I think this allowed Zechariah, when he finally saw that boy, to say you know, and finally to speak. It made that proclamation even more 
pungent, you know, even more important, emphatic from mm-hmm. his lips. Yeah. People sat up and listened because Zechariah had been quiet for quite a while. You know, but it, it, it definitely, yeah. you know, relates to that. Sort of an object lesson kind of a thing yeah. more than a punishment. Yeah, or a correction, yeah. I, I think it's interesting when he does speak, he prophesies. Mm-hmm. He just explodes with prophecy. Uh Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he's visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. He's not talking about John being the horn of salvation. He's talking about Jesus. And uh, it says, the child, you will be called a prophet. This is what he says of John, a prophet of the Most High. So here's the thing that we need to know, I think, about Zechariah is that he was not just a priest, he seems to be a prophet. Hmm. And sometimes we think that prophets are always smart and doing the right thing, but they're not. We remember the unnamed prophet in First Kings 13 who disobeys. And one of the things that I really believe is that those who proclaim the word must be subject to the word. Uh, those who are uh, given the opportunity to proclaim the word of God need to be obedient to the word of God. And he was not. He was not. He was, God answered his prayer. And he said, how do I know this? Let let me have some facts. (laughs) And so God says, okay, you didn't want to be the one to proclaim this news during this pregnancy, that this is it. So now we're going to have you wait and watch Hmm. and not talk. And then you will be able to again when, when you know it. I think it's interesting, too, that sometimes you might read the prophecy of Zechariah and think, well, he is talking about this baby because it's miraculous. Yeah baby in mm-hmm. the sense of timing of its birth. But he clearly is not talking about his own baby because he says, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. Mm-hmm. So the baby isn't it's certainly not, not from his family line, which yeah. was from, from Levi, from Aaron, yeah, but it's yeah. from the house of David. So. Yeah, he's, he says, I know my son is going to be the one that proclaims the coming of the Messiah, but what's really important is Elizabeth's cousin, Mary, mm. uh, She's going to have a baby in the line of David, and he's going to be the Messiah. So now he, he returns to his prophetic role, and he's not saying, how can I know this anymore? He knows it. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't believe it. First hour's up. That doesn't seem possible. Wow. Uh, but we've got lots more. So keep listening. There's a second hour of Open Line on most of these stations where we're going to get our way, make our way through Luke 2 as well. Eva, Trish, Chris, and I will be back, and we'll keep studying together. During the break, you can check out our webpage, openlineradio.org. That page has links to past programs. It's got a question page. There's even a link to my personal webpage if you want to see where I'm speaking or blogs I've written or things like that. There's also a page where you can find the link to the Chosen People Ministries uh, free resource if you're interested in that. Uh, Open Line with Dr. Michael Ray Dunlick is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.